before you Lord as we remind ourselves of the truth of the tendons of the faith Lord we thank you we thank you for your word which teaches us of those truths and as we open up your word today as we reflect contemplate who you are Lord we thank you we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us and as we study and as we reflect Lord we we also realize what you have done for us in dying on the cross for our sins And, Lord, for those who know you, for those who have trusted in that work that you have done for us, Lord, we praise you with all praise because we realize that you alone are worthy to receive that praise. Lord, as we come together, Lord, may our hearts be changed. May we reflect and contemplate that hope that we have that is only found in you. And may our lives be transformed into your image. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before you sit down, would you welcome somebody to Emmanuel Bible Church this morning? We're going to do our catechism here in just a second. But before we do that, today is June the 29th. And June 29th, according to church tradition, this is not inspired and inerrant and in the scripture, or excuse me, the 27th. I got the wrong date because my eyes aren't good. But is the day that the Apostle Paul was martyred. Whether or not that is a historical truth or not, we don't know. But according to church tradition, that is when it is observed. And so today is a day that many churches set aside to remember the persecuted church. Um, the many martyrs that are out there in the world today. I want to just read to you a couple of statistics. I'll take my glasses off so I can read since I got the date wrong. I saw you all looking funny when I said that. I was like, eh. Did you know that according to a recent story, uh, study, every day eight Christians die in the world because of their beliefs. And somewhere like 276 Christians' homes, livelihoods, are either burned or destroyed. It's amazing to think, isn't it? Are we not blessed to live in the United States of America and the freedom we enjoy? Freedom to know that when we come here, no one's going to bust in on us. No one's going to burn your house down while you're gone and put graffiti on the wall accusing you of being a Christian. We need to stand for the religious freedom that we do have in this country and thank the Lord for it. In the last year, there have been 260 million Christians living in portions of the world where they experience overt persecution. In the last year, 2,983 Christians were killed for their faith. Over 9,000 churches were destroyed. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters in the Lord who live in some very difficult and dark places. And so as we go to prayer today, that's what I want you to ask, that's what I want to ask you to do with me, is instead of us praying at this time just for ourselves, let's turn our focus on our brothers and sisters in parts of the world where there's great persecution and pray that the Lord would deliver them from the evil one and that he would preserve them, that he would accomplish through them his will even when that is very difficult and they are in persecution. And so let's do that together as we pray this morning. But before we do, let's look to our catechism. If I could have the screen for a minute, we'll, we'll do question 23 and question 24, and then we'll look to the Lord in a word of prayer. <clears throat> what offices does Christ execute as our Redeemer? Christ, as our Redeemer, executes the office of a prophet, of a priest, and of a king, both in his estate of humiliation and exaltation. How does Christ execute the office of a prophet? Christ executeth the office of a prophet in revealing to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our salvation. 
Let's look together to the Lord in a word of prayer. Lord, in the book of Hebrews, we are exhorted to remember those who are in chains, to remember those who are in prison. And Lord, as we pause in this place, in a full house, where we carry our Bibles openly and proudly, where we sing loudly and exuberantly, where we can invite people to join us without fear. We remember together those who are in prison, those who are in chains. Lord, the world doesn't know many of their names, nor do we. Sometimes we read in the news or in Christian periodicals that we may get the stories of certain ones who have hit the headlines. And yet, Lord, undoubtedly, most of them are unknown to anyone except those in their life circle. But, Lord, we know they are known by you. I think of the verse that you gave to our brother Andrew Brunson when he was in prison. Let him who is in darkness and has no light trust in the Lord. Let him rely on his God. Father, I pray that someone today who is in a place of great darkness who is suffering deeply, that, Lord, you would reach out and touch them in a very real way because we as a church are praying in Jesus' name. Lord, they're our brother. They're our sister. Be with them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
thinking to go from the persecuted church to that song and how to make a transition into that. But you know, I was actually thinking in the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, we had brothers and sisters in Christ who were persecuted because of their faith. And they came out after being beaten and they rejoiced, rejoiced because of the persecution of their faith. And I thought about that. What, what did that mean? It was actually the idea of leaping and jumping and praising God because of his goodness to them. Because that they were worthy to receive the persecution. And so it really is not wrong for us to celebrate, to worship, to sing, to glorify God, even in the midst of membering persecution. Why? Because of our hope. The only reason we can go from praying about our brothers and sisters who are hurting, who are being beaten, to that type of song is because of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and the hope that we have that we will be with him together. Would you stand? Let's continue to sing and celebrate the hope that we have. We fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus, the greatness of mercy and love at the feet of Jesus, and we cry,
are the shepherd king. You lead us by still waters. Hallelujah, you are Savior. You are my only hope. Your kindness is my friend. In your presence, you restore us. Jesus, you are stronger. Jesus, let all heaven and earth 
dismissed for Chili's Church at this time.
beautiful scene, you may be seated. Book of Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 9. Before we read the text and make any comments on it, let's just look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Go ahead and get there. I'll let you get there. Romans chapter 9. Pray with me this morning. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, it is by grace that we are redeemed, that we are restored. And this grace is what enables us to freely walk into your arms. Without this grace, we would never do so. Father, we come to a text where you reveal to us things about yourself that are hard for us to swallow. We come to these verses and we are confronted with the reality that you are in heaven and your ways and your thoughts are higher than our ways and our thoughts and your name is hallowed. You are not like us. You are sovereign. Help us, Lord, to swallow this, to trust in it, to be comforted by it. Lord, help us to not in carnality rebel at it. Help us to embrace you for who you truly are. We need your spirit to do so. So I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There is always a temptation. I was thinking of this while we were watching the Truth Project this morning when he was talking about the passage in the book of Isaiah when a man cuts down a tree and he takes part of the tree and he uses it to cook his meal over it and he takes another part of that tree, that same tree, and he makes an idol and he worships it. The temptation to idolatry is so pervasive in all our hearts. We want to make God like us. When we come to this passage, God reveals to us things about himself 
that are hard. I was talking to Amy about this this week, and one of the things that I never want to do is to cut God down to our size. So when we come to this passage, there's gonna there's just some stuff here that's hard. God tells us at the end of this text, I show mercy to whom I want. And who I want, I harden. That's hard. We gotta wrestle with it. But I'm not going to explain it away. We're going to let God be God. Now let's look at the verses. Let's begin in verse 6. It is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all who are the children of Abraham, because they are offspring... But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. Rather, it is the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so... But also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born. Now notice this. This just shows you how precise the scripture is. Notice what he says here. Though they were not yet born and were neither good or evil. Is that what he says? No. They had not what? Done. Both Jacob and Esau were what? Evil or sinners in their nature. Both are sinners. He is very precise in saying that. They have not yet been born. When they are born, they will both be sinners. But neither one had had the capability of doing anything yet that was either good were bad. They hadn't done anything yet. In order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. Remember, these are all quotes from the Scripture, aren't they? The Word has not failed. He is pointing us to the promises and the prophecies that God made. And He is proving to us that they had not failed. No, they were fulfilled as He intended. So the older will serve the younger. As it is written, swallow real hard. Mm -hmm. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. What should we say then? This is the objection that everybody raises. I told you he's going to deal with two objections. 
to the doctrine of unconditional election. One of them is this, God is not fair. God is not fair. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? How does he answer? By no means. Very strong phrase in the original language. By no means. Then he quotes. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it depends. Not on your choice. Nor your ability. Nor your giftedness. Nor your good looks. Nor your position in birth order. It does not depend on human will or exertion. It depends on God. He is the one who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I raised you up and put you on the throne. Remember chapter 13, we're going to get there. The governing authorities are what? Ordained by who? God. For this purpose, I raised you up. That I might show my power in you. And that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Conclusion. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. Let's just be dismissed rather than preach on that, huh? That's pretty tough. Let's start. Isaiah 55. Now, let's remind ourselves of something here. Israel's rejection of Jesus was not a failure on the part of God to fulfill His Word. No, it is a fulfillment of God's unfolding plan and purpose as seen in His electing prerogatives, as He showed in these quotes that we read. So it is not the Word that failed. Remember Isaiah 55. Let's look at these verses for just a minute. In Isaiah 55, verse 8, it says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as the heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thinking is higher than your thinking. For just as rain and snow fall from heaven, they don't return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout. It provides seed to sow and food to eat. So my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me fruitless or empty. Think of the comparison to the rain. It will what? Accomplish what I please. It will prosper in the thing that I send it forth to do. 
God's word never fails. There are three illustrations of this in the text. God made a promise to Abraham. Abraham disregarded the promise and he brought forth seed in his own deluded scheme with Sarah and Hagar. And that boy's name was Ishmael, but he was the son of the flesh. Isaac is the son of promise. Those two are contrasted in what we just read. God's word didn't fail. No, Isaac was born according to God's plan. Isaac then, with his wife, Rebecca, right, Rebecca? Jacob's Rachel. Yeah, I always got to get them right. I, you know, when you don't learn something right when you're a kid, in Sunday school I could never get Rebecca with the right guy. <clears throat> and so I still have trouble getting Rebecca with the right guy. But so it was Isaac and Rebecca. She gets pregnant, and God says to them, there are two nations within your womb, and they are going to struggle with each other. Jacob, who will be the younger, will be what? Over Esau, who is the older, or the elder. That is completely backwards in the culture. Yet when you read the text in the book of Genesis and you study the story, you see exactly how that plays out. Who is Esau? Edom. Who is Edom? King Herod. King Herod, who wants to destroy who? The seed of Jacob, Jesus. Israel is the weaker nation. It is in bondage in Egypt. But God has chosen Israel over Egypt, who is the most powerful nation on the planet. And God works out His redemptive purpose through ten plagues. And then the giving of the Passover. You know the story in the book of Exodus. We won't go through that this morning because of time. It is important to note that in the passage that we read, he quotes two, two specific things that happen in that story. The first one is, he quotes to Moses. He says to Moses in verse 15, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. When does God say that to Moses? You know when he says that to Moses? Right after the children of Israel have built a what? Golden calf. They have received the commandments. They have received the covenant. The nation of Israel said to God in a covenant relationship, we will do all that you require. We are your people. Moses goes back up on the mountain. He's there for 40 days. And while he's up there, the people say, what happened to Moses? Who knows? Make us a God. And so Aaron makes a golden calf. The whole nation is worshiping it. It's in illicit immorality and drunkenness and revelings. And God says, I will have mercy and compassion on them. Why? Because they deserve it? 
No, what did they deserve? Mm. Right? Like we all do. He said, I will have compassion on them. Egypt, ten plagues, Pharaoh who hardens his heart and whom God hardens. Doesn't end very good in Egypt. Why? God's purpose. God's plan. There are three sharp contrasts that we want to develop real quick this morning. Love, hate. Who did God love? Were you with me in the text? It's hard to swallow. God loved who? Jacob. He hated who? Esau. What does that mean? What does that mean? Choice and chosen. It is not of human will and human exertion. It is of who? Him who calls. Justice and mercy. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, he says. Three sharp contrasts. Let's look at them for a few minutes. God loved Jacob, and it says he hated Esau. That is a quote from the book of Malachi, the last chapter. Or excuse me, I think the first chapter. I think I got that wrong. The other quote there about serving the younger, the older will serve the younger, is a quote from the text in the book of Genesis. What does it mean? I told you last week it was Charles Haddon Spurgeon who, who was in conversation with a woman. A woman come to him and said to him one day, how? I don't understand this. How does God hate Esau and love Jacob? And, and, and Spurgeon wisely replied to the woman. He said, the mystery is not that God hated Esau. The mystery is, why did God love Jacob? Have you taken the time to read the story? Maybe you haven't do it sometime. Jacob is not the guy you think of as you want to have as a neighbor. He is not a stellar character. He is scheming, he is deceptive, and it's all about him. God loved him. So what does this mean? What does it mean that God hates? Now, the first thing that we've got to say is this. The word hate in the Bible, let's remember something, the Bible was not written in the king's English. It was written, New Testament, in what is called Koine Greek, first century Greek, common language, street language. Old Testament, it's written in Hebrew, some Aramaic in places, Needless to say, they're not languages that you know. Having said that, you know what it's like conversing with someone, maybe, 
who knows another language, who speaks another language, different connotations, different meanings to words. Sometimes it's hard to come up with the right word. Words are broad. This word hate is a very broad word in the original language. The meaning of it is determined by context. I want to demonstrate that to you. This word can mean malice. What was the definition of a first degree murder? Killing someone with what? Malice, a forethought? That's why Jesus says of hatred, it is what? The root of murder. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 13, he says, Don't be surprised, brothers, if the world has malice toward you. Don't be surprised. That's why people in the church are persecuted. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who has malice to his brother is a murderer. You know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Let me ask you a question. Can that word be, that definition be, attributed to God? Can God have malice? Can he have malice, a forethought, that would make him a murderer? No. It would be what? Against his character. That would be against the very character of God to have malice. Here's another meaning of the word. It could mean this aversion that we feel towards something. For instance, book of Jude, I put chapter 1, verse 23, because there is only one chapter, nevertheless. He says, save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others, but do so with fear. Hating the garments defiled by the flesh. What does the word hate there mean? It means you have a feeling of aversion towards something. We had a horse that I was riding in a, uh, two weeks ago, coming down a trail. I have no idea how this did this, but it never saw it. Came on a, on a snag, on a tree, and that snag entered right here into its cavity, went in better than a foot. what you call a sucking chest wound, a pneumothorax. We've been treating that. That horse blew up like a balloon. You cannot imagine. Okay? I was like, what in the world? Okay. Ended up going to a certain vet who was helping me treat it. He said, we've got to stuff it. It's the only way we're going to stop that from sucking air in. Because what's happening is he can't breathe out because it's creating that vacuum within him. So, so he soaked 
two rolls of gauze in betadine and with his fingers just started stuffing. Two full rolls of betadined gauze into that thing. Left the little tail sticking out and um, it stopped it. About five days later, and he said, you know, in about four or five days, just start bringing it out, cut it off, bring it out, cut it off. We'll get it sealed. Well, Winchester is his name. He got sick of having it in there. So Winchester reached down with his head and just started pulling. And so I went out in the crowd, and here, laying on the ground underneath him, is a two full rolls of gauze that are stinky and nasty. Ah, we went to the burn barrel. Hating the garments defiled by the flesh. Hold your nose, pick it up, and throw it in the burn barrel. He's doing good, by the way. Amazing horse. The vet, while we were working on him, that horse just stood there. And, and so I had to go back and do it again with my fingers. We put two more rolls in there and got him sealed up again. He's doing great. But that horse was saying, the vet, we were working on him, and the vet looked at me and he said, this horse knows we're trying to help him. And truly he did. He, I mean, he did not resist anything we did. So he told me, when you get him home, you want to tie him in a corner. said, for four or five days, this horse needs to be immobile. I went home, put him in his stall, I didn't tie him up, and that horse stood immobile. I was like, that horse heard what the vet said. <laughs> Amazing. But then he did disobey and pull out the gauze. <laughs> that had nothing to do with my sermon. It took too long. The fear of the Lord is to what? Hate. Evil. I'm going to suggest to you that every one of us as Christians living in this culture do not hate sin the way we should. We don't fear God enough. We get so used to it on our screens. We get so used to it everywhere. Do we treat evil like I treated that gauze. We should. We don't. Third one is this. Preference or choice. I'm going to suggest to you that his meaning here is more along this line. Love and hate. Matthew 6:24. No one can be a slave of two masters since he will hate one and love the other. Or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and of money. Notice this one. Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother. What did God tell us in the commandments? What are you to do to your parents? You are to honor them and what? Obey them. So what does he mean when he says hate them? He means this. When it's a choice, my friend, between God Almighty and Mom and Dad, you choose who? God. God. 
John 12, 25, the one who loves his life will lose it. The one who what? Hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. I'm going to suggest to you that when he is speaking here about God loving Jacob and hating Esau, he is not speaking about malice towards him. God does not have malice that would be directly opposite of his character. He is saying in another way, he elected to choose Jacob, not Esau. This is what he is saying to us here. We need to move on. Second contrast. The second contrast is choice and chosen. I want you to notice verse 11. Though they were not yet born, they had not done anything good or bad. I noticed, I noticed with you the word done already, so we won't talk about that again. In order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. And then he says in verse 16, it depends not on your will. It's not the final say. It does not will, it does not depend on your ability to exert yourself towards God. It depends on God, who is the one who has mercy. I mentioned Charles Spurgeon earlier. Charles Spurgeon was saved as a young man after going through quite a plight of seeking after God, raised in Christian circles and in the church, hearing preaching, and yet knowing he is not right with God. He hears a simple man simply preaching a simple sermon from the book of Numbers, look and live. Look to the Lamb. And he is born again. And Charles Spurgeon said of that, he said, before I was saved, I thought I was seeking God. After I realized God was seeking me. We read the story of the good shepherd who leaves the 99 in the fold and he goes out seeking one. Seeking you. Who is lost. John tells us this in another way. He says he comes to his own people. His own people didn't receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them, those people, the people who receive him, he gives them the right to be God's kids. They are the ones who believe in his name, and they were born. I've got a grandson that's going to come in the world one of these days. We know it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It has to. It's been long in coming. Pray for Grace Ann. You know what? His name is going to be Benaiah. 
one of David's mighty men. I, maybe I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry, Grace and Ty. I don't know if I was okay to announce that. There's going to be a little Benny. We're going to have Thad and Ben. You know what? Benaiah will have nothing to do with getting into this world. Nothing. He's just going to show up. It ain't going to be very pleasant. Praise the Lord. The Lord wipes that out of our memory bank, right? But now he's not going to have anything to do with it. Same is true with the second birth. We are born. It is not of human exertion nor of human will. It is of what? It is not of the will of man. It is of the will of who? God. Okay. Let's think about choice and chosen. We like to talk about choice, don't we? We like to talk about that. And I'm going to say this. When we get to chapter 10, we're going to preach hard like we're Arminians. When he says, whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We'll preach that just as hard as we're preaching this. Just as hard. But we like to think about our choice. But you know what? Choice is a very paltry thing. Like, I mean, think about it. Like, we really have a good record of making good choices? I mean, really? Adam and Eve are innocent. They've never sinned. They haven't done anything evil. They live in a perfect environment. How did they choose? When have you done any better? When have I done any better? What would make us think that we are somehow going to be so smart and so wise and so noble that when we hear a message when he says, come to me and die, deny yourself, take up a cross, we're going to say, whoa, I'm in. Who's going to do that? How silly are we? Get real. Right? Have you ever been involved in an intervention? They're not pretty. What's an intervention? An intervention is something when, you know, someone's in bondage. They're destroying themselves with some addiction. Maybe it's drugs, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's a sexual addiction, whatever the case may be, and they are destroying their life, and they are in bondage. And you go to them and say, oh, quit drinking. Oh, dear, you've got to give that up. And you do that for 20 years, and you never get anywhere. Why? Because the person can't choose. choose. They are not being rational. We have far too rosy a picture of our depravity if we think that when we hear the message of the gospel, we're going to say, Amen. No, we won't. What do you do when someone is in bondage? You make a choice for them and you deliver them so that they then can make a good choice. 
You save them out of it. And what does God do for us? He shows us mercy. He comes to us in our brokenness and in our bondage to Satan. And he shows us mercy. And just like we sang, by grace I am redeemed. By grace I am restored. And because of that grace, then I freely walk into the arms of Christ my Lord. Not before. Not before. And so he has mercy on whom he wills and he hardens whom he wills. Mercy. God is rich in mercy. There's many things we could say about mercy. Is this the first use of this word in the book of Romans? It speaks of inward pity or sympathy. It is that feeling that is the root of grace. It sees someone in need and it reaches out to them. It is compassion. It is linked to forgiveness in that it is the withholding of just punishment. It is mercy. Last week I was talking to Jack after the service. And Jack was telling me a story about him and Lisa had been up on Togety Pass and they saw a bear up there and then Lo and behold, in a series of events, the bear was euthanized after that. And Jack was just mentioning how he felt pity for the bear. And then Jack's dad had said to him something along this line, do we feel that same pity for the lost? When I was on the ranch in Cody that I worked for for about 10 years before becoming the pastor here, one day when we were feeding, early in the morning, it was in the middle of the winter, it was very cold, and the North Fork of the Shoshone River had frozen over. And deer would cross that river routinely and would come out onto our feed line during the night and they would clean up. And me and my buddy, we went out and we were feeding the cattle and looked down into the river And this doe, in crossing the river, had broken the ice and had fallen in. She couldn't get out, and she was trying to get out and struggling and was breaking off the ice. Immediately, both I and him were like, oh, we got to save her, you know, so we run down there. And and so he puts a lariat around me, and I crawl out on the ice, and he's holding on to me in case I break through. And I get out there, and I... Roper, we drag her up onto the ice, and we probably did the wrong thing. We probably should have just left her under a tree, but we felt pity for her. And we dried her off as best we could, and we took her to the barn, and we put her under a heat lamp, and I guess she died in a nice place instead of the ice, but she still died. And we came back into the barn, and there she was, dead. And I remember how sad I felt. Because we had really tried. And the Lord then reminded me of Jonah chapter 4. When Jonah 
after preaching really a puny message to the Ninevites, and after having been puked out by the whale, sits under this shade, gourd kind of thing that God had allowed to grow on the hillside, and he's waiting for God to destroy the city. And God sends a worm, and the plant dies, and Jonah is bummed. And God comes to Jonah. He says, you're having pity on this plant that you did not plant, you didn't labor for, and you have sadness over that. Should I not pity that great city Nineveh in which are 120,000 souls. God is rich in mercy. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Run to Christ. Let us pray. Lord, it astounds me that you would show pity on any of us. That you would intervene in any of our lives. That you would save us. But not only have you saved us from hell, You adopted us as your kids. And you gave us your spirit. And promises and word that never fails. And everything we need. Father, may we as your kids... Worship you for your mercy, the adoption. And Father, I pray that if there's someone in the, vo- in the hearing of your voice this morning who has never been saved, that Lord, you by your Spirit would intervene in their life and they would be born by the power of Jesus' name. And so we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song together?
because of who we are for Lord we know that that we deserve death we we are nothing except because of your grace and mercy and so because of that we thank you and Lord we we take that message we leave this building Lord and we take it to those who are around us may we hurt for the lost that we run into and with that hurt may we extend to them the the message not that or not that we know that they're going to respond. We don't know that, but our responsibility is certainly to just simply be a witness to them, to share what we know to be true. Lord, may you give us boldness to share that truth. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the day. We thank you for ministering to our hearts, Lord, through the work of the Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen.